Hello, this is Phil England, and welcome to the We're Alive Fancast. Yeah. Welcome to the We're Alive Fancast. Mr. Redbeard and Mick. Hello. Hello. Hello, Phil. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Is this Mick? Yeah, this is Mick. Hey, man. How you doing? Doing very well. How about yourself? Doing very good. Very good. Nice. Good to hear. Yeah, good to hear from you. And we've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's nice to hear from you guys. Thank you. Hey, uh, you don't know anything about our fan cast, do you? A little bit. Casey's told me a little bit about it um, and just kind of the interviews you've done. But uh, yeah, I haven't ever listened to myself. Okay. Yeah. So we just, we've been covering season four and <laughs> talking to the actors when we can. Casey here and there and, and just covering pretty much every release that y'all do. Sounds great. Sounds great. I'm glad you guys have been enjoying it. Yeah, we have. It's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun to work on. So. And unfortunately, uh, my buddy Redbeard can't be here with us tonight, so uh, it's just going to be me and you. Yeah, that's fine with me. So let's jump right into it. Sounds good. Hey, uh, how did how did you get involved with, with We Are Alive and when? Um, so I met Casey through Chapman University, and um, I was a sound des- a film production major with a sound design emphasis at Chapman. And um, I got close with a professor, and kind of you know w- got more involved with the Foley stage. And I was a TA with- for my professor, so I kind of knew my way around that end of Dodge. And then I got to know Grayson, um, as I'm sure you guys know, one of the producers, Grayson Stone. I got to know him because he was a sound designer of my same year, and so we got to know each other in class. I got to know each other on a sound design professional level as well as a personal level. And so then uh, the summer after I graduated, uh, Grayson asked me if I would be interested in coming on the team as an editor. And uh, yeah, I knew basically nothing about it. I just heard that they... That they did the that they did the podcast and that it was zombie related, but I had no idea how uh, involved and how uh, you know special it really was. Right. And so then uh, they asked me to come on board, and I jumped at it, and here I am. Wow. So when was that? Like season three? I just came on for season four. So season that four? yeah, that was last summer when they asked me. So I've just been working on it since I think August or September. Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, not a lot of people get to hear about uh, you behind the scenes. So, of course, we've seen the new mini-doc that's out on YouTube mm-hmm. that uh, Blair filmed. Yep. Uh, could you explain your role like a little bit deeper as far as what you do with We Are Life? Yeah, of course. I'd love to. So basically, I am the sound effects editor. So um, we have a voice cut editor named Brent, uh, Brent, and he's he's been great. And he lines up all the lines of dialogue for me on uh, each character, basically. Mm-hmm. And he puts them in, in the order that they are in the script. And then he just sends me just the dialogue. And uh, within that, I get three, two or three choices usually for each take with uh, the actors doing it differently and giving different performances. And then um, after that, it's basically my job to take the script, interpret it how I think that it needs to be. And then I go and I start sound designing. And usually my process is I'll go through, I'll read the script, I'll listen to the voice cut, and then I'll do Foley first. And I started out doing uh, Foley to the actual voices um, back in the beginning. But what I found was that I was just throwing away a lot of my work and, um, a lot of the different, uh, sounds that I was recording, I could, uh, record in a row and do it wild as they say, and then kind of build up a, a library per episode. So then what I do is I go and I do Foley and I do all the footsteps. Uh, I record all the sounds that I can really record in the Foley stage in the Foley stage. So clothing, rustle, footsteps, when they go to pick up bags, um, things like that, they're, you know, their gun rustle. And then, um, just a lot of those kind of, uh, parts of the show that really ground the characters and make them seem like they are humans in that environment. And then once I get the Foley, I spend about two to three days editing it. And I put all the Foley in, as well as uh, I go and I find ambient sounds, winds, um, things like that. And I layer those in with the Foley, and I line those up. And then I do a pace cut 
and I go I go through and do basically a rough pass where I go through and I kind of get the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important to have the foley when I get the timing now, because a lot. Sorry, what were you going to uh, say? Can we can we define foley real quick? I, oh, I yes. generally know what it is, but not for sure. And I'm not. I don't know if everybody does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. So sorry. That's okay. Um, so basically, the art of foley is we have a uh, very nice sound stage, which is very quiet when you go inside. All the walls are padded, and in this stage, we have almost every surface that you could walk on in there. So there's a little square of tile. There's a little square of kind of this temple stone. There's a little square of concrete, a square of asphalt. There's uh, dirt pits. And the interesting thing about the dirt pits is that they, when they designed the building, they actually left holes in the foundation of the building. Because if you put dirt in a box, it sounds like dirt in a box. But if you have dirt on dirt on dirt on dirt all the way down to the center of the earth, it sounds like the dirt that we're used to walking through when we walk on trails and things like that. And so you've got these dirt pits, which have uh, different um, types of dirt in it, different fine uh, fineness of gravel, basically. And um, so we've got those as well as brick. There's a big tub in there, which you can fill with water for sound eff- uh, for water sound effects and things like that. And um, then there's a wall of shelves and of walled shelves just covered with junk. <laughs> Basically, it, it you go in there and you know you don't really want to touch anything if you've never been there before because it looks like you'll get tetanus everywhere. I mean, rusty metal cranks, you know, broken egg beaters that have just been used for so many sounds and then there's a closet with filled with just more stuff. Different types of shoes you can use, different types of carpets you can roll out on the surfaces and to get the footsteps of carpet and things like that. Uh, just the most random assortment of objects you can imagine wow. we've got in there. And um, that's kind of the interesting thing about Foley is it's where we record a lot of the basic sound effects that most people don't think about when they listen to an audio drama or when they watch a movie and they see the characters on the screen as simple as having dinner. And as they're, you know, cutting the plate and, you know, cutting their meat, you hear that. Well, a lot of people think uh, that we just, they record that on set and it's all happening right there. But you really don't want to do that because it can create a lot of continuity issues. So we like as sound designers to have as much control as possible in the post-production process. And that control is uh, one of the reasons that we go to Foley. And uh, Foley actually originated in the old days of radio. This will be interesting because, you know, all uh, all of the radio drama fans out there oh yeah um and so uh foley was invented by this guy named jack foley in the radio days and um that was when they had you know the shadow and all those old awesome shows <laughs> and you'd hear you know there'd be the dramatic tone and you know they'd have a big sheet that they'd rumble if there was thunder and you know they'd uh they'd use coconuts on sand for horses um and so that's where it came from and then as film came along and sound got added to film and we started being able to do more tracks that's when sound design really took off and and that's when Foley was used to switch over to film and also in radio drama. So what we do is we record all those sounds, the clanks of the dishes, the, the footsteps. Um, I have when I go in there, I take a box with probably five or six pairs of shoes. Um, one of those pairs I borrow from Casey, uh, which are the military boots. And then depending on the character and the footsteps I'm doing, I will uh, just act out the footsteps of what's happening in the scene. And I'll change the shoes and I'll make sure it's on the right surface. So if, you know, they're in the apartments at Dunbar, um, you know, there's a few surfaces to choose from in there. Um, And so Casey kind of gives me a little freedom with that, which then, of course, he has the right to change at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so that's the art of Foley. So we go on that stage. I set up microphones. And then in that controlled environment, I have the ability to create the sounds that I need. And the beauty of that is you can really get a personality to a sound. Um, it kind of sounds crazy, I know, but it, especially in We're Alive, where all you're hearing is sound, it's so important to make it a dynamic and alive environment. And so when I go into the sound design process, I like to kind of think about each element as having a character. And when I'm doing the footsteps, I'm trying to kind of embody what I would imagine the character standing like in that moment. So I'm sure if there was a video of me doing fully, it would be really funny because <laughs> when I'm acting out Tanya's footsteps, I, you know, I get this kind of big black woman sass about me and I shake my hips around and, uh, you know, kind of so, so that it matches her voice um, okay. as opposed to just some guy stomping around out there. Um, and so then 
then that basically, yeah, that that's the art of Foley. It's uh, all the all the sounds that we can record. Cars, obviously, I can't get a car in the Foley stage, and it would be really hard logistically to make possible um, to record that anyway. So cars, I get from a library, um, and you know, guns, explosions, uh, grenades, and um, you know, doors. Also, there aren't there uh, the doors you record in the Foley stage aren't that great. So most of the doors we find, and um, yeah, so that that is the uh, that's the, the art of Foley. Wow, that was a lot of really good information, and there were so many pieces I wanted wanted to drill down into. Let me let me pick a couple. Uh, I guess to comment on, yeah, uh, the as far as Foley what goes in movies, I didn't realize how much of it was added until you look at you're watching somebody walk, and you can tell there's there's no way a microphone was able to pick up their footsteps. Mm. They're being filmed like 200 yards away, but you can hear their footsteps. But you don't see any mics anywhere nearby, so you know they're adding these things in. Exactly. So yeah, and once you start to look at that, it kind of takes you out of it. Is it? Do you ever catch it taking you out of things? Oh yeah. I mean, going to films will basically shatters the illusion, and uh, you know, it's kind of like pulling back the curtain and seeing Oz. That he's just this, you know, little uh, little guy behind the curtain, and that's what you know you happens when you learn how all these things are done. Because when we're kids, you know, we watch Jurassic Park and we hear the dinosaur. And we we don't even think that there's a guy making the footsteps and making that roar. You know, we just think that's the dinosaur, you know. Oh, yeah. Right. And then you learn it's a robot and it kind of kills that magic. But what it does is it adds, creates a new type of magic. Um, Now I just have a much greater appreciation for films um, and, you know, entertainment uh, areas that really do it well. And you start to get this respect and this appreciation for the art of it. And um, as before, it was kind of the film you watch and it's this magical world you get transported to. Now I'm on the other side and um, I'm the one who's transporting people. And so you kind of have to look at it as as that coming to light as opposed to, oh, well, it's not what I thought it was. It, you kind of have to let it shift into what it needs to be for you to work professionally. Um, yeah, so that's what I'd say to that. <laughs> Phil, that's so funny that you mentioned Jurassic Park because yeah. whenever I was uh, when I was picturing somebody walking and talking about footsteps being added in, I was picturing Sam Neill as Alan Grant in Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> I was like, wow, you know, you just pulled it right out of my head. Perfect. Well, I love. I watch that movie at least once a year, and okay. most always more. <laughs> one, of the, one of the best. Yeah. So, okay, so this is really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad that you went as deep as you did with that. How would somebody who's listening to this that thinks that sounds really cool, how would somebody get into that? Uh, sound design specifically or the film Yeah, so- sound design. Um, well, sound design, uh, basically... You know what they always say, the proverbial uh, proverbial adage that they say is that you need to know someone um, to get into Hollywood, which is is true for the most part. But how you meet them now, I feel, has opened up to a whole new spectrum of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what I would say is the best thing you can do is practice. Uh, you know, in the film industry, almost all the art forms in it and in the and in the radio drama part, um, you know, almost all of it is uh, really practice. Um, I know that with We're Alive, if I would have tried to do it before I was in film school and I had learned, um, there, it would have not been possible. They, it would have eaten me alive and it would have destroyed me. Um, but I know that with the amount of practice that I've, that I've done, it's gotten a lot better. So when you're starting out, to answer your question, sorry, um, no, when, when you're starting out, what I would say is the first thing you can do is look around you, look in the, to the world around you and start listening. Because we go through our day-to-day life and we hear so many things that we don't even notice. And once you open up your ears to everything that's happening around you and just notice little things, um, then I think that's kind of where the appreciation for sound comes. And then what will come next is how can I create that? How can I artificially create that? Or how can I create something similar to that but a little different? Or you might just say... That's really cool, and I want to record it. <laughs> and then you get a, you know, you get a microphone, and you go and record stuff. Um, so that's kind of the very first step. Now, in terms of the actual technical process, uh, Pro Tools is the sound program that I use. I'm a big fan of Pro Tools. Um, I was fortunate enough to get my level two Pro Tools certification at Chapman, which you know was just a very highly technical course about all these things that you can do with Pro Tools that you never would. Um, but so Pro Tools is a great place to start. Um, you know, I'd recommend 
anyone who's really interested in audio, buy Pro Tools and um, you know, you can start to learn some stuff about it. If you can't if you can't or don't want to go to film school, um, that's fine. I think that, you know, taking on your own projects is a great way to delve into sound design. And kind of a cool thing with this uh, this new, um, you know, technologically driven world that we've got here in social media, um, as, you know, podcasts and everything, now that that's possible, I mean, now it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. So it could be something as simple as getting Pro Tools, getting a, you know, a microphone to start out, and just recording your own stuff, uh, whether it be you just talking and maybe getting your friends and kind of trying to put on your own audio drama and just ex explore around. You don't need a fully stage. Um, we need a fully stage because at the level that we're alive is um, the world has to be completely believable. And so in order to do that, we need that controllability and, and the fully stage. But you know, if you listen to the shadow and the retro because they were old, the older radio shows, it's it's so fun because, you know, someone's making that sound artificially, mm -hmm. but you don't care. It's it's part of it. It's part of the comic, the comic cartoony nature, you know, just like when you're reading a comic book and you see the character punch someone, and it says, bam. And, you know. It, it, it's kind of that same cartoony, uh, that same cartoony um, atmosphere. So you could start doing your own radio show. You could start recording sound effects and just playing with them in Pro Tools. Pro Tools has a lot of great ways to manipulate sounds and change them. You can shift the pitches and make them sound deeper. So if you wanted to make a character sound like some, you know, behemoth, for example. <laughs> Uh, you could, you know, take your character, record him saying something, and then you could pitch shift it down or pitch shift it up and make him sound like a chipmunk. Um, and so I think that's if you really want to get into the world of audio, um, you can you can you can start that way. Obviously, getting jobs is a great way to start if you know someone who does audio um, or you have a friend who is a musician, for example, and he knows a friend who works at a recording studio. A lot of audio guys start in recording music, actually. Um so that's a good place to do it. But, you know, basically, I think once you open your ears, that's kind of the beginning. And then you just have fun and, you know, you, you're just you let your curiosity take you. That's why I love being a sound designer is because I get to go in a room with a bunch of rusty pieces of metal and other things. And I get to play with them and try to create other sounds uh, by adding four or five, you know, objects together, which then blend. So anyway, I, I know I'm really long winded. So if you ever want to interrupt me, just chop me off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still blown away that they build it with foundation with holes in the foundation and uh, yeah. know that that's really important because like you said, it sounds like dirt in a box. Yeah. And that um, is uh yeah, that's the tidbit of the tour that I always love the most. <laughs> I, absolutely. And we've seen that. If you've seen the mini doc, I'm talking to the listeners. Uh, I don't know if you have, have you seen the mini, the documentary? No, no, I haven't seen it actually. Uh, it's just maybe a month or two old, but the, they show Casey, he's making the footsteps. And then at one point he's in the thing. And oh, you can nice. see him. He, you can see him try to give personality to the footsteps. Also, nice. he's doing Michael, and then he's doing Robbins, and he really just does them all differently. And then yeah. he, you know, it shows him also in in the hole, like you talked about, or at least you can see the cutout. It's like a rectangular looking thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, those are those are the pits, most likely. So uh, you obviously have a passion for it. How did you get started? Um, well, actually, it was an amazing professor. Um, I came to Chapman with a film production major in mind, and I wanted to be a director. And when you're a film production major, you can choose director, editor, cinematographer, um, or sound designer, or production designer. And you kind of, by your senior year, you have to choose. So I was a director up until my junior year. And I'm actually also a stop motion animator, which is my uh, my main um, drive, I guess. Oh, stop absolutely. I've got a lot of or a few questions for you for that. Oh, cool. Coming yeah. Up. So yeah. that that's kind of um, what I want long term. But sound is also a great love. of mine. And I was, took this class with a professor named Dan Pavlin. And anyone who's been to Chapman knows him well. He's a legendary professor. And what Dan did, um, he just really filled me with a lot of passion and excitement. Um, a lot of the other film classes and, you know, a lot of professors kind of take this approach in other areas, not just film. But you'd go in there and they would tell you get out of the film ending. That's like the first thing they would tell you on day <laughs> one. And, you know, we were, we were wide-eyed freshmen, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to hear that. We were so excited to be there. Right. And there was one professor who really stuck out as different and gave hope. And that was Dan Pavlin. And, uh, it was audio techniques class and he's a sound professor. And, um, he basically 
the way he talked about sound and the things that we started learning, it just made me look to the world around me and just ugh, blew my mind. It really opened up uh, the world to a whole new realm of possibilities. And I loved the layers of sound. Um, you, you, when you look at editing, it's very much how can you use a sequence of images to portray an emotion? And a sa- sound design is how can you use layer of you know layer upon layer to create a three-dimensional world because that's what the sound does for a film um you've got the picture which unless you're watching a 3d movie can really only be two-dimensional and that is the job of the sound designer is to create this atmosphere which the audience experiences without even knowing they experience and so to me i remember thinking i felt like this invisible magician you know kind of behind like this puppet master behind the stage (laughs) you know working these marionettes and kind of pulling the strings of the audience's emotions without realizing it because you know the whole there's the old adage that uh if you you know if you mute a horror movie when you get scared, the horror movie's not scary if it doesn't have the sound or going with it. And so I've always kind of associated sound and music with the emotional um, impact of the film. And so to me, it was this magical realm of possibility. And it's something that no one does. Um, it, you know, that's what they also told me. They said, if you want to get a job in the industry, become a sound designer because they need sound people and no one really wants to do it. And that blew my mind. And so all of a sudden with this professor and uh, just the material and, and all the possibilities that came with it, I really got uh, just this rush from it. And uh, then, so as I said, I was a director. Oh man, directing live action, not my thing. It killed me. I did a short film. It almost killed me. Um, and it, and then after that, I was getting ready to do my, th- my senior thesis. I was getting ready to do a stop motion senior thesis. I was going to be the first directing student at Chapman ever to do it. And I, uh, with this professor's help, he was also the professor that I became a TA for. Um, so I had been doing a lot of sound as his TA along the way while I was still a director. Um, and so I was always very, very, uh, you know, adamant and um, always very uh, active with my sound design as well. Um, but ultimately, I was a director. So then uh, end of my junior year comes and I've got my script written for my senior thesis, which is stop motion. I was going to animate it that summer. And I looked at this mountain of a task I had before me and I said, you know what? This is not the right time. If I try to make this movie right now, it's going to kill me because I'm not really prepared for it. And the amount of stress that will be coming my way is just is way more than I thought. So at that point, I was in a great position where I could just switch to sound design as my emphasis. So then I formally switched to sound design with uh, my professor's help. And then um, with that, I did my two sound design uh, senior theses. And um, I just had a much better year. It was so much less, so much less <laughs> stress. And I was already doing sound anyway at that point. I was a TA for sound. It just all kind of made sense. And so I made the formal switch then and because of that i've i've been able to find um you know work and uh keep busy after graduation which has been a godsend and so thank you casey if you're listening uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so that that's how it that's how it happened for me being a ta was a huge part of it also it's, it's amazing how much impact people like this professor dan are or how much impact they have when they're great encouragers you know on the world around them absolutely so that's cool to hear about that and hear about him yeah what is it about Casey that uh, drives everyone around him nuts? Oh, oh. <laughs> well, I think that's what he thinks. That's what he says. No, I'm just, I'm just making this up. I was hoping to get something, but no, he, he doesn't drive me nuts at all. Actually, I really, I really like Casey, and he's been an amazing boss. Um, I've been very fortunate with the bosses I've had and the jobs I've had. I really haven't had that typical jerk, um, power mongering boss. Um, what I will say is Casey is incredibly particular. And uh, to a level that I never really have experienced in the sound world. Um, and I think maybe part of that is Casey's military background and the, and the kind of military nature of we're alive. It's very important to him that, um, you know, the explosions sound a certain way. And if they're in a Hummer, they have to be in a Hummer. Um, if they're in a Jeep, they have to be in a Jeep. And you have to get the sound right. And oftentimes I would, you know, try and I would take. <laughs> three cars and mix them together and try to get this cool car that doesn't really exist. And he would send me emails back saying, it just sounds like three different engines running. And <laughs> so for me, I had never even thought about that, those technical little elements. And so Casey was the first um, person that I've worked with where that really came out. But what it did was it has made me such a better sound designer. We're Alive has made me 
so much better at what I do. Um, and it is really, you want to talk about practice. I mean, repetition, repetition, repetition. When you have an episode a week, it, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you got to work fast and you got to make sure that you work, uh, you know, get quality, quality output. So, you know, Casey, he's awesome. And I love, I, you know, I love the show. I became a huge fan of it when I started working on it. And I, sometimes I would actually not read the script before I, before I start, before I listened to the voice cut, because I would just want to experience it. And so I've just listened to nothing but the voices and just be like, oh, oh, damn. oh, oh, look what's going on. Like, oh, yeah. Tell him, Tanya, tell him. Tanya is one of my couldn't tell. <laughs> one second, Phil. Yeah, no problem. Okay, I'm back. Hey, before we leave uh, sound design, mm-hmm. let's see, where was I? Oh, what were you just saying? I was talking about uh, Casey and his uh, particular nature. <laughs> yeah, you had me at something else. Oh, never mind. If it comes back to me, we'll get back to it. Um, okay, so let's talk about stop motion a little bit. I've, I've seen some of your stuff online, which is really cool, by the way. Thank can you. you. Can you talk about uh, your stop motion for a little bit? Yeah, stop motion is my true passion. Uh, it is what... You know, they always talk about that do that thing where you get lost in something and you don't even realize time's happening. That is stop motion to me. Um, basically, I discovered stop motion when I was probably 10 years old. And I discovered it without even really discovering it. I've always been a fan of Ray Harryhausen and the old Christmas classics, you know, the uh, Rankin and Bass, uh, Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that. So I mm-hmm. always loved that. There was something so magical about that, that there are these puppets with no strings and they're moving on their own. And that was just amazing to me. And King, the original King Kong. Oh, yeah, I love that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but what happened was I really wanted to make movies. And no one would make movies with <laughs> all my friends. They would, you know, they, they were not as excited about making. And so what I ended up doing was I was like, screw it. I'm going to take my camera and I'm going to get my toys and I'm just going to record my toys and make my own movie. And then that evolved into me when my family got a Mac. I'm a big Mac fan. When my family got a Mac, um, all of a sudden stop motion became super easy. I got this program called Boink's Stop Motion, hooked it up to a a regular video camera. And then that's where a lot of my early animations come from, which are probably most of the ones that you've seen online. Um, Those are most of my high school animations which was me just sitting in my parents' computer room with that camera, just kind of taking clay and having fun with it. Um, and all of a sudden, what happened was I realized stop motion was great because I could just get lost. I could get lost in my own little world where it's just me and this character and I'm breathing life into it. And that became this intoxicating, addicting thing where I would just sit for 12 to 13 hours not moving. And I would just move that character one little, you know, one inch, take a picture, one inch, take a picture. And I just, it just, became this uh, this intoxicating uh, pastime that just really uh, took me. And then um, I just, I, I looked around and no one else was doing it that I knew. And I just kind of was playing around with my own stuff. And I was always a big fan. And I always kind of had that in mind as where I'd be going with it, just because not many people do it. And so I figured, hey, why not me? Um, <laughs> and so then uh, you know, I tried to do that in uh, at film school, and I made an independent study. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Goosenoppin's Horn. Um, no, I haven't seen that one. I've seen a couple, but not that one. Yeah, that one is it's on it's not on my personal uh, YouTube. It's on my production company's YouTube, which is actually called Golden Octopus Productions. Yeah, that's and, the one I was checking out. That was really oh, cool. Cool, thanks. Yeah, so I just I put it up recently and it's actually a short film. It's my first real short film and I made it 4 or 5 years ago and I finally finished editing and sound designing it and writing the music for it recently. It was kind of one of those projects that I did by myself in my parents' basement for a summer as an independent study. And uh, then it just kind of, I it, I got so tired of it. It just took me so long to finish. And I finally just finished it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, if you want to go check it out, it's called Goosenoppin's Horn. That's on Golden Octopus Prod, uh, the you, YouTube channel. Can you put that in the chat window real quick? And I'll add this to the, uh, to the notes. Yeah, it's called Goosenoppin's Horn. There you go. Awesome. And my YouTube channel... Cool. There it is. And uh, yeah, so that was my that's my first real short stop motion short film. The rest are, you know, just kind of experiments, I would call them. And um, ever since then, the idea of stop motion has really just 
taken me. And now me and my buddy, Bill Crichton, uh, we're really getting serious about it. And we're starting to get to uh, the part where we're trying to get our company going, which will be a sound and animation company. So I'm not giving up sound by any means. Um, I love sound and that's where I'm making all my money right now. So <laughs> that's how I'm living. Uh, so I, I always plan on having sound be a part of my life, but I hope to switch my personal focus to animation with the company. And currently me and my friend, are work, me and Bill, we're working on a short uh, St. George and the Dragon, which has always been one of my favorites. And so right now we're actually in character and set development. And um, I've basically I've built most the dragon for the most part. I just have to put skin on him. Right now he's just muscle and uh, and bones. And uh, Bill is uh, currently working on building the set. So we're looking to go into animating that next fall. And uh, that hopefully will be kind of what jumpstarts our company, and we'll enter that into festivals, and then use that as, as our reel. And uh, we're hoping to really impress people with that. We're trying to bring our A game and uh, really evolve our technique and make a great film that is also just fun to watch and you know geeks who love jurassic park like myself mm -hmm. uh, and other monster movies can um you know enjoy uh, uh, some cool fight scenes as well as cool dragon designs and things like that so that is cool i checked out the uh the magic spoon which oh, yeah. had me hypnotized because oh, uh, i don't know it was simple but it also had some undertones to it that just seemed interesting maybe it was just a little Nothing for you to do, but it seemed like it had some cool stuff to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that actually, uh, I do, I've gotten really into meditation and um, kind of that side of, uh, of the Eastern concepts of healing. I took a few classes at Chapman about that. Mm -hmm. And so what happened with the spoon bending thing is we learned how to bend spoons in class, not, uh, not Matrix style where you just <laughs> look at it. You know, believe me, if I was doing that, I'd be some monk in, you know, in a robe somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just kind of channeling your energy and just trying to bend a spoon and spiral it up. And so that kind of got me interested. And I was like, well, maybe I can just make that spoon bend with my stop motion. And then I can send it to my friends and tell them that I bent it with my mind. And so then that kind of just, I just decided to play with a spoon and, um, it was kind of tricky because when I coiled the spoon up on itself at the end, mm -hmm. I, I had to, I would take a picture and then I had a pot of boiling water and I go and I take the spoon and I put it in the pot of boiling water for like 20 seconds. And I would take it out, bend it a little bit because it was a little softer, put it down, take a picture, go put it back. I did that probably 70 or 80 times. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's how I got it to kind of coil itself. And then when I sound designed it, I was like, what if, and I added the music and all those sounds, I said, what if I just, uh, you know, make this some, you know, kind of sorcerer almost like what if I add this magical tone to it? And so that's kind of where that uh, that sound musical undertone came to kind of make it this this wizard who's having fun playing with a spoon. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I like the, the noise it made when it spun, too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah. OK, so I've done one stop motion ever. I was playing with Play-Doh oh, cool. with my kids. Nice. I kind of made something and threw it on YouTube somewhere. I don't even know where. Oh, awesome. But Redbeard is—he's getting into it. Also, he—no kidding. He's—he's he's talked about stop motion for years, but just like in the last couple months, his wife and he uh, did one. Where it was like a Minecraft on a cake oh, cool. that he put out there, and he's—him and his wife are gonna—he's working on like a DIY little portable, like I don't know, something to hold the camera or something, and also maybe somewhere to film on. I'm not—I'm not sure. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, if you, cool. you know, if you guys have any questions, let me know. And I would I would love to maybe collaborate with you guys in the future. Who knows? Oh, yeah, that that'd be fun. It'd yeah. be uh, you're definitely leagues ahead of us or me for uh, sure. <laughs> it you know, it's I'm I still have so far to go. Uh, you know, it's all a process. So we'll, we'll all get there eventually. <laughs> so uh, this is this is kind of personal because you can ask somebody this and they don't really know. It's kind of an on-the-spot question, but it's interesting, and I, I'd like to hear what you had to say to it. And this mm -hmm. is what I wanted to ask you earlier, because just listening to you talk and your passion for what you do, mm -hmm. and uh, just you can you can speak really well about the things you like. Also, Thanks. I just wanted to know what what kind of like if you have some just big goals in mind, like far down the road that you're hoping to reach for, or you're just kind of going along, or what's that look like? I, I definitely have goals. Um, my major goal is to help people with my art. Um, if you go and watch Goosenoppin's Horn, it represents a very different Phil than who I am now. I've changed a lot since I made that movie. And that movie has a very cynical undertone to it and a very cynical view of life. And I'm an optimist at heart. And I believe that 
as entertainers, as the creators of audio drama, film, cartoons, all that stuff, we are educating our society. Um, it's amazing how many people watch TV and think that everything that comes out of it is 100% true. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that amazes me. And so I see it as my uh, duty almost. And this has all been kind of recently that I've discovered this. I see it as my duty to help educate um, or just, you know, help inspire. I just want to help. And I specific I specifically want to help kids. I think that there are some fantastic shows in our modern um, world of cartoons that really instigate creativity and this view of life that I think it it it, it is so um, it is it is so special. And one of those, for example, is Avatar: Last Airbender, which is my favorite cartoon series. I'm a huge fan of it. And when I watched that and I saw how they integrated these Eastern concepts, um, even meditation and doing good and helping people and you. And sometimes violence may be necessary, but it's all for this cause of balance. And when I saw that show delivering that message, I thought, yes, this is what we need to do. And I, I'm a big fan of Ren and Stimpy also, but personally, <laughs> Personally, I think that, you know, Ren and Stimpy is hilarious, but it's, you know, it's a little more for adults. And I think that when we get, um, as we're starting to get into the future here, I think that what is really important for my job is to create animations or um, works of art that can really help kids grow. And I, I just, I just want to help people to be honest. And it's kind of hard, um, in the film industry because a lot of it, you know, it's so money driven. And so it's really hard to uh, see that, but it's very important that I keep that mindset in that, in that goal that I can get to a place where I can make a show, whether it be a web series, a TV show, a feature, an internet show, I, you know, whatever forum we're putting our entertainment on at that point. Mm -hmm. It's very important for me that I deliver messages that I think will help people be happier and live a better life. And that to me is very important. So that's kind of, I guess that's what I would say to your question in terms of long-term goals. I'm not sure what my journey will take. I'm not sure where, you know, I'm not sure which, which turn it will take. I don't know what's just around the river bend, but I know that if I ever have that control, I want to make sure that I use that power responsibly, as Uncle Ben said, with great power comes <laughs> great responsibility. Perfect. <laughs> well, that thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. a... Uh, being able to help people and, you know, whether it be large groups, small groups, that's a very just noble goal for sure. Yeah. Uh, um, so before we leave stop motion, mm -hmm. have you considered trying to put together like a we're live pilot, even if it's just a little bit, because that's some, amazing. somebody's got to at some point yeah. Yeah. animate this or, I mean, there's not really any zombie stop animations I know of. <laughs> No, well, there, you know, there, there's a few ones, but not in the realm of realism that we're alive is. You're absolutely right. You know, I haven't actually thought about that. Um, you know, I've, I've always kind of, uh, you know, viewed we're alive as its own thing, but you know, that is an interesting thought. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Somebody, and I'm surprised with as popular as it is and as good as the audio quality is that mm -hmm. somebody hasn't tried to adapt maybe even like five minutes into a, an actual well-produced uh, animated piece just to see what it would look like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. That is, that's a great idea though. Good old oh, Redbeard uh, should get on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get Redbeard and his wife on that. <laughs> I know. Might have to talk to them about this. Yeah. All right. So, uh, well, we've already talked about this a little bit. Is there anywhere else we can, that we can find you online? We've talked about golden octopus and, uh, uh I've got my personal website, fillingler.com. Um, and that's just kind of, uh, where I post some of my previous projects and that's, you know, kind of my personal website. Uh, we're going to be working on getting goldenoctopusproductions.com up and, uh, otherwise through Twitter, as you know, and, um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook and friend me. Um, but yeah, that those and YouTube is my main where I, you know, I post a lot of my golden octopus videos. I haven't really, uh, posted, um, too many videos recently just cause I've been working on this dragon so much, but, uh, <laughs> I'm working on our octopus productions logo right now. And so hopefully I'll be able to get that out there soon. And, you know, like I said, goldenoctopusproductions.com hopefully will be going up soon. So, all right, very keep, good. Keep your eyes open for me in the future. Cause my, my web presence will definitely be stronger than it is now. <laughs> awesome. I've got uh, a couple more questions for you. Yeah, please shoot. Uh, this one, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. and, uh, it says you were a media uploader at Hulu. Yeah. 
uh, I've always wondered about that process and what is it, what is there about that that you think most people probably wouldn't have heard of or ever think about? Hmm. Well, let me think. Uh, so I worked on the show called Spoilers with Kevin Smith and basically my job, it sounds a lot cooler was, <laughs> um, my job, it already sounds awesome. Just yeah. so you know, it does. Yeah. You know, all these nice little, uh, technical things they throw into the titles but <laughs> my job as a media uploader is i would i would go to the studio and they'd be finishing editing it when i got there and i would just kind of sit wait for them to finish editing the episode and just wait in the studio and then and this wasn't in the hulu studio this was in the smodco uh, smodco studio okay. um which is kevin smith's company he was the one who was you know producing the show hulu was the one that was putting it up on their uh, websites and, you know, overall overseeing it. So there were the produ- the Hulu execs there, but ultimately most of the show, um, everything was carried out by the Smodco people and um, all, the, all the people that got brought on for it. So I'd go and I'd wait, and then they would finish the episode. And once they got Kevin's approval um, that it was all good to go, then everyone would leave. And it would just be me alone in the studio by myself all night. <laughs> and I would just watch files upload basically. I would just uh, t- get the right files and I put them, I would just upload them to the Hulu server and make sure I inputted the metadata properly so it got put in the right part of the uh, website. And basically, metadata in that, um, in that facet is just, uh, they, I would just copy and paste stuff that I got in an email. They would just, I would copy and paste it in the right place, upload the video, and then I would just sit. And I would just watch that video upload in the <laughs> studio all night long in uh, in the middle of Universal City Walk. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Sometimes I'd get out of there at like four in the morning. <laughs> were you like, you were working for Hulu then? Um. Yes. And what well, Hulu and Smodco Studios. It was I was more working for uh, Smodco Studios. Um. I got brought on by Zach Knutson. He was the producer. He was one of the producers and one of the directors of the show. And um, he is my girlfriend's brother, actually. And so that's how I met him. And, I, you know, he just brought me on because they needed a media uploader. And so technically I was hired by Smogco Studios, but I worked with a lot of the Hulu execs there. And so it was a joint effort between those two. Okay. Well, that's neat. I've all... I've often wondered a lot about Hulu and Netflix and all that stuff and never actually got to talk to anybody that had anything to do with it. So... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically how it works is, um, you know, Hulu and I'm not sure if Netflix works the same way. I don't think they do. They do with some of their original stuff, like the Netflix original series. Right. So what, so I think Kevin went to Hulu, Kevin Smith. And I, I don't, I, I don't know if any of this is true, by the way, this is just my interpretation of when <laughs> I went there. But what I would guess if I had to guess was that, you know, Kevin said, Hey, I got this idea for a show or whoever said, Hey, I got this idea for a show. They went to Hulu. They said, Hey, we got this idea for a show. Would you guys be interested in helping us produce it? And then Hulu says, Hey, yeah, I think that would be really cool on Hulu, um, we'll produce it. So, and then they meet with the producers of the show and then you get this joint effort between kind of the creative team and then the executive team, which is more of the Hulu people that are overseeing it all and making sure that it gets done properly and that it's done in the uh, proper pipeline and the, and the process is, um, done, you know, done in time so that they can post episodes every week and things like that. And then that just kind of becomes the joint effort there. And then Hulu works with them about how to advertise it and kind of stuff like that. And so that's how it worked on our show. I'm, I'm also sure that in terms of the films, they, uh, they work out, Hulu works out a deal with whoever owns the rights to the film and they get, uh, they pay a certain amount of money to have it on Hulu. And then there's all these exclusivity agreements and it gets really complicated, but that's, <laughs> That's that's basically to the extent that uh, I know how it works. That's really neat. Uh, actually, I lied. I do have I have another question, so I do have two more questions for you. You got time? Yeah, I got hey, as much time as you need. I'm enjoying this, just babbling on. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked for ESPN, also? Yeah, I still do. You do? Okay. Well, what do you do for them? Um, I actually, again, it's one of those things where officially I'm technically working for ESPN because we broadcast onto ESPN, but I work for the Big West Conference specifically. And so I work with a production truck that goes around and we cover all of the Big West Conference sporting events. Okay. And then we uh, broadcast those to ESPN3 online live and hope we have, we've had a few games that they put on ESPNU because uh, as, the, as the year went on, our production truck grew and 
um, just got so much uh, so much better, and the productions we were putting out were really up to up to good quality. And so we're hoping to be on ESPNU this year. But yeah, that's what I do. We go around in this truck and we go to the different stadiums in Southern California that are part of the Big West Conference. I'm the audio engineer. And basically with this truck specifically, I'm kind of in charge of all the audio stuff. Um, we kind of have a team uh, environment at, at uh, the Big West Conference through ESPN. And that's really fun because a, a lot of the workers, most of the workers are students interning actually uh, from Chapman. And they've got this nice relationship going. So you've got this young, fun environment where we're just going and covering these college sports games. And it was a blast. And so we go, we set up all the microphones. Um, you know, we need to get the ambience microphones for the field so if we're doing baseball we need to make sure you can hear the crack of the bat and uh you know get some crowd sounds and things like that and then i set up the announcers and their mics all the audio sides of the broadcast and then all that is plugged into a truck and then i sit in the truck with a big mixing board and i watch the screens and i uh, mix all the levels live during the broadcast and so that's what i do with them okay very cool uh so yeah, you just explained it. You pretty much answered all the questions I had for <laughs> for what you actually did with that, and that's cool. Cool. So, Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> do you do you like sports? You know, I've uh, I, I've always played sports. I you know I was part of a big lacrosse family, so I played lacrosse my whole life, and I've played basically every sport. Um, and so I've always liked sports, but I've never watched sports. To be honest, I've never been what you call a major sports fan. And most times when people strike up conversations with me about sports, I have no idea what they're talking about with professional sports and things like that. So I've always enjoyed being active in it, and I love to go out and go for runs or you know go play frisbee with friends. But uh, yeah, the, that I did not become. I did not work for ESPN because um, I love sports. I worked for them because <laughs> I knew audio. <laughs> you think that helps you whenever you're working that you're not getting like distracted, like yeah. <laughs> trying yes. to watch? Yeah, sometimes it depends on the sport. Women's volleyball is pretty awesome. I mean, my eyes are glued to the screen during women's volleyball, but <laughs> right, you got. For some reason, the sound's not working as well during those games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've learned a lot more about the sports we cover now because I'm the only guy on the production truck that has to listen to the announcer because i got to make sure their levels are fine. So I, I have no choice but to listen to them. <laughs> and, you know, they're always awesome. We've got great announcers with the Big West Conference that are just really fun to work with. So, it, you know, it's never it's never a problem. And most of the time I just laugh at all the dirty jokes that they don't realize they're making. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, just I'm, I have – my mind always goes to the gutter for some reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it uh, it's definitely given me a, a new love for sports and also a new hate for sports, uh, just because sometimes you just got to deal with stuff. And some of the worst sound I've ever personally recorded has been at sporting events because you're trying to record sound in a crowded stadium where everyone's yelling. And so sometimes that just drives me nuts as a sound guy. Um, but that's part of the story of uh, sports and people want to hear the fans. So you kind of try to roll with it as much as you can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> anyway, there you go. <laughs> that's really cool. So, okay. This is the question we ask everybody cool. that's involved with We're Live. If you were stuck in the zombie apocalypse and if you could pick only one of the, from the cast of characters of We're Live to survive with, who would you choose? Ooh. Oh man, that's a good one. Oh man, it's okay. Well, I'll cut out all the awkward silences here. So. Yeah. <laughs> how how long? So I, I, this is for the end of however long we live, right? <laughs> that's right. Let's see here. Are any of them that have ever lived, or do they have anybody? Be- yeah, any of the characters ever. Okay, so I mean, I would have to go with Lizzie. I think. <laughs> okay. Because, because you know. If we needed to repopulate, that's the wisest choice, I think. <laughs> and, you know, uh, close personal relationships with people. You know, you need someone to bond with, someone that is worth uh, saving every day. And <laughs> you, you don't want to be stuck with someone that just annoys you or, you know, someone that can't help you in any way. Right. Yeah. Lizzie's pretty cool. And obviously yeah. she uh, could help repopulate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I uh, evidence in the show. And this is, you know, just this is who she is in my mind based off of her voice. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's perfect, Phil. So uh, just before we close here, I just want to make sure we give a shout out to all the places we can find you again. 
Uh, yeah. Golden Octopus Prod on YouTube. Yep. Soon to be goldenoctopusprod.com. Uh, probably goldenoctoproductions.com. Okay. But uh, I'll post, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and all those places when that website's up. So it'll be and on on you and on YouTube also. So I'll post to make sure that people know where to go. Awesome. And as you said, uh, you can you could uh, follow him on follow him on Twitter. Follow maybe friend on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff and. Well, yeah, so send me. You. If you're gonna send me a, a friend invite. Just you know, send me a little message or something saying you're a friend of We're Alive or something like that, and I'd love to add you. That's great. Well, thank you for the work you do on We're Alive. It sounds oh, great. No, thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, honestly. Really has, and it's been great talking to you too. And uh, really neat to hear all the different things we talked about tonight. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mick. I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed rambling on for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you're going to be at the finale. I I can't be at the finale. I'm so bummed. My brother's getting married, so darn him. I'll be in Germany at his wedding, but I'll be there in spirit. And I hope that everyone just has a great time. I really do. I know it's going to be great. Oh, cool. Yeah, Red Redbeard will be there. He'll he'll have to tell everybody how cool you were. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I'll be there in spirit. So you might you might see me floating around or something. <laughs> <laughs> you'll feel you'll feel me. <laughs> yes. So it's like, it smells like German chocolate or something. Who knows? <laughs> right. Is there any sauerkraut? Who opened the can of sauerkraut? You're saying off either saying. Anyways. Uh, hey man, uh, hopefully we'll get to talk later. Yeah. I hope our paths cross again. And you know, if you ever, if you ever need another interview or anything, you just let me know. Definitely. Cool. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, Mick. Thank you so much. You, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the We're Alive Fancast. If you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email us at we'realive at mickred.com, and we will read your mail on the show. We want to know what you think about We're Alive each week. Tweet us or email us your theories and reactions to that week's show. You can tweet us at, at WAFancast. Visit our website at mickred.com. Mickred is always spelled... M-I-C-K-R-E-D. You can find the We're Alive Fancast on Facebook. Just search We're Alive Fancast. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song Ghost Apocalypse in this podcast. This has been a Mick Red production. Yeah. Hey man. Hey, part two of the interview. Where did they go? Hey. Calling right. in the, I'm calling in the interview you said we could have. Yeah. At the end there, another oh. interview. Oh yeah, sorry. What, what, so what do you need from me? No, I'm kidding. Oh, uh, okay. Like wow, all right, cool. <laughs> Actually, I do need do need one more thing from you. Yes. Sir. But I wanted to wrap up what we were we were doing just then because it seemed like it was flowing pretty well. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think in the spirit of me going to Germany, I think I'll do it in a German accent. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hello, this is Phil England, and welcome to the We're Alive Fancast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, or do you want me to do it differently? If you want me to do it differently, please. Well, please. I don't know. I like it, but if you're going to share it with your friends and family, and um, yeah, that's what you want them to hear, then that's fine with me. I don't care. Let me think. I, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's uh, pretty sure it fits my, with your personality and they'd be like, yeah. Oh, that's just what we'd expect from him. Yeah, my friends and family would be weirded out if I was just like, Hey, this is Phil, what's yeah. up? This Welcome is Phil, you're listening to the Weird Life Fancast. Yeah, they would just they would think that it wasn't me. I mean if if you had a video right now, you would see I'm wearing a tiger shirt, so you know, the the weird is expected with me. <laughs> <laughs> tiger shirt. <laughs> so it's, well, it's only weird if that's all you're wearing, so yeah, no, no, I got some pants on. We're good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I actually did this interview by candlelight. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh, so, cool. Well, do you need anything else for me? No, that's it. Thank you. Cool. Thank All right. You, well, man. thanks a bunch, Mick. I'll talk to you later. Right, bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.